This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And today, of course, folks, you heard her year yesterday. She has joined us again. She's given us her time, and we appreciate that. Crystal Beth. Crystal, thank you so much for joining us again today. I would be nowhere else except here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Uh, thank you for giving us your time. We know you're a big Jurassic Park fan, and uh, we thought we had such a great time yesterday. We'd have you back again today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, oh. and uh, we're really happy to have you here. So, well, let's uh, see how I do today. Well, for folks that might have missed the show yesterday or maybe they're listening to this out of order for whatever reason, could you just uh, tell us real quick uh, who is Crystal Beth and what it is that she does? Sure. I am Crystal Beth, and I do comedy in New York City as well as – every podcast I can get my hands on because I love talking and I love pajamas. And when I can talk in my pajamas, it's perfect. Oh, are you in your uh, Christmas pajamas right now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that, uh, I only have Christmas pajamas. Onesies with uh, reindeer antlers on the hood. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely podcasting, podcasting gear. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, um, Crystal, I, I know you do the Unlimited Lives video game podcast uh, with John and, and with some other people. Uh, are you guys doing any sort of like end of the year wrap up for games that have come out this year? We'll probably do that on uh, the last episode or the first episode of January. Mm -hmm. Probably is a, a little bit of a wrap up because the last uh, the last episode of December will be our Christmas episode, and we're doing a uh, Treasure Goblins, which is like a Secret Santa, but we call it Treasure Goblins where oh. listeners of the podcast and the hosts of the podcast all buy each other gifts and we unwrap them on air and through Twitch and on they're going to do unboxing videos and stuff. So it's very exciting. We have a really, really tight-knit group of fans. It's pretty awesome. So what are, what are you playing right, right now? What, what have you enjoyed the last kind of – we're kind of in the video game season right now. Stuff has been released over the last few months, but uh, what's, what's taken up the majority of your time lately? I've actually been playing a free game. It's free on PlayStation Network right now. It's called Neverwinter, and it's a RPG based on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So it follows the rules of Dungeons and Dragons with uh, with your stats and everything like that. And I'm playing a great a half orc, great weapon fighter named Dragda Merklavo. Ooh, that's and nice. Thank you. I made that up myself. I was very proud. I actually was <laughs> really drunk when I made it and woke up the next morning and was like. <laughs> Yeah, good name, Drunk Crystal. And uh, <laughs> it's really fun. We play with a bunch of people from the podcast because it's open world and you can play with up to six people in your group. Being a video game player, did you ever get to play any of the Jurassic Park video games that had come out over the years? I actually didn't. I just started playing video games recently, uh -huh. but I have watched the gameplay on quite a few of them. Yeah, there, there was a very strange variety of games. Some of them were great. There was a Super Nintendo Jurassic Park game that uh, Brady and I used to play a long time ago, which was uh, some over-the-top isometric kind of like a Legend of Zelda type game. And then you would go into the bunkers and it turned into a Doom like 3D style yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, That's really cool. It was very cool. But then they also had, like, I think Jurassic Park Trespasser, which, Brady, we've talked about on the show before, which was this uh, big-budget game they had. It was the first uh, use of a physics engine in a game, which uh, at the time sounded, like, really cool. Like, hey, all this stuff on the island has weight. But it turned into uh, you trying to do these puzzles, like stacking cinder blocks on stuff to uh, open a door when raptors were coming at you. And the technology wasn't really there. But it was really weird because they put – 
uh, they hired like voice actors for the game. So I think uh, Richard Attenborough came back and actually played uh, Hammond in some That's of right. the recordings yeah. you would find. That's and Minnie, awesome. Minnie Driver was the main character on the game. Uh, so you had her voice the whole time. And it had this really she had strange a voice. She did, yeah. She has a great voice, but it had this very strange um, life meter system. So, you know, usually in games you have, like, little hearts at the top of the screen or whatever to tell, like, how much life you have. In this game, the character being Minnie Driver, you had to look down towards the ground, and you would see her bosom where she had a tattoo of a heart. Like, and it would drain if she got, like, attacked by dinosaurs or whatever. So trying to figure out, like, how much much life you had, you had to, like, look down at your shirt, you know, and be like, oh, I have, like, half a heart tattoo now. (laughs) It was so weird. The, like, the playthroughs on the game on YouTube are, are so bizarre. But um... Speaking of, of Jurassic Park video games, Dr. Robert Backer, who was the noted paleontologist referenced by Tim in the movie, was in a Sega CD Jurassic Park video game that came out around the time of the movie, I believe. Not familiar with it at all, but it's kind of cool that they dropped him in. However, they were able to do that, I, I'm not sure. Let me tell you about that damn game, okay? Ah! Uh, you're, you're playing through, and you, this, this can be included in the recording, um, you're playing it, and it's fun. Uh, if this is the one I'm thinking of correctly, you could play as Grant, or you could play as the Velociraptor. So there were two tracks yeah. in the game. So you would play as Grant Finish, and then you could play the alternate B version of the game where the Velociraptor is trying to uh, to escape the island. Pretty fun game. Pretty cool premise, having both of those on there. Yeah. However, once you beat the game, there is a video clip of Jeff Goldblum standing on a beach ridiculing you for wasting your time playing a video game completely <laughs> he says he says he's ian malcolm but he's completely out of character he's sitting there going like wow look at you you just sat inside all day and played a video game basically yep. berating you and it is the most frustrating thing to be like oh yeah because this is back in the day when you know you were mowing lawns to get like 60 bucks to buy this you know sega game and then the, one of the anchors from the movie comes on and just completely like berates you for being yeah, a loser. it's weird you're actually you're thinking of the Lost World game, but as I keep oh, okay, well, game, you know, um, yeah. technically, but, uh, <laughs> I know I know what you're talking about though. It's so bizarre. Like they actually took the time to go out and shoot that, and somebody said, "All right, you know what? That'll do. You're you're cool for saying and that." And paid him. They yeah. just need him to make fun of you. Yeah, so that was uh, very very frustrating to to see that after after spending all the time playing the game. So. But anyway, yeah, so that's video games, and if people want to find out uh, more about uh, Crystal and her video game adventures, uh, Unlimited Lives is the best place to do that, right? Yes. Unlimited awesome. Lives Radio. Unlimited Lives Radio. Great podcast, a lot of fun. So, Well, hey, uh, you guys ready to get into minute number 41 of Jurassic Park? Oh, well, yeah. Let's do it. In the previous minute, we saw Grant leave Tim in the car that he wouldn't be riding in. As the minute ended, Muldoon announced to Hammond that they were watching a storm approaching the island. At 41 minutes, we open on a computer model of a storm formation near Isla Nublar. At 41 minutes and 4 seconds, Hammond removes his hat and pats Ray on the back. Hammond asks Ray to start the tour program. Ray switches over to another computer and enters a command prompt as Muldoon watches on. At 41 minutes and 16 seconds, Ray initiates the tour and tells everyone to hold on to their butts. The camera pans past a few monitors and up to Hammond's face. Hammond lets out a breath of air. At 41 minutes and 33 seconds, we cut to a shot of the SUVs starting the tour. Tim points to the self-driving steering wheel and says, Look, a ghost! Both Tim and Lex act like they're scared of the invisible driver. At 41 minutes and 41 seconds, we cut to a wide shot of the front of the visitor center where the tour vehicles are heading out on their own. As the cars drive off, Ian Malcolm says, God help us, we're in the hands of engineers. At 41 minutes and 47 seconds, we cut to an interior shot of vehicle number 4 where Gennaro, Lex, and Tim are seated. A voiceover says that during the tour, the appropriate information will be displayed for them. At 41 minutes and 51 seconds, we cut to a set of massive wooden doors with the words Jurassic Park above them. 
Lex asks, are we going to hit the doors? The voiceover says, welcome to Jurassic Park. And thus ends minute 41 of Jurassic Park. So in this minute, we see the tour actually starting. You know, we've had a couple of minutes of buildup here. We, you know, have Hammond introducing the Ford Explorers and wanting everybody to you know, call and response on how nice they are. Oh, aren't these great? We spared no expense. Uh, you know, pairing everybody up, getting everybody separated into cars so they can have the little conversations or whatever. And now it's actually starting. So in this minute, not a whole lot of story going on, but a lot of scene setting. You know, uh, we have yes. Ray actually starting the program in there. Uh, you know, actually, I think this minute starts off with a little bit of a, a a computer graphic overlay of the storm and what it's looking like. Is that correct, Brady? Uh, yes. Yeah. So a little bit of scene setting in that. And then we get into, uh, you know, all of them in the car where we're watching them on computer monitors. And of course the clips that the three of us watched together to prep for this minute are pretty great because it has subtitles and a lot of the stuff I was never able to hear, hear uh, watching the movie. I don't know about you guys. There's a moment where Ellie says something about the pex, uh, the plexiglass roofs on the car. Did you guys catch that? Yes. Yeah. She says like, what's that for? And, uh, yeah, it's like, I well, never noticed that until today. That'll come into play later when you're not around. You know, it's going to be almost killing <laughs> yes. the kids. So. I um, never heard And we, we get our classic line, you know, hold on to our butts here. So, um, oh, yeah. I was so happy to have that line. I was like, there it is. I have the <laughs> yeah. best minutes. You really you know do. What? Yeah, there's some Brady. great lines in here. But yeah, Brady, go ahead. There, there really are. Hold on to your butts. What the hell does that mean? Just. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching this movie for 20 well, yeah. I mean, so so the, the the actual what he's trying to say here is like let's pray to God that everything works here, you know. Well, yeah. And I could say that you know, recording a podcast like this, and I'm sure we can all agree, uh, we probably do a little bit of saying that before we start every show because uh, inadvertently all the equipment breaks down about five minutes before your schedule you know, actually record everything. I have I have a uh, a note where later he's talking, he's listing the problems like item one twenty one and today's glitch list, and I'm like, yep, sounds like he's talking about setting up for a group podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's, you know, there, there's so much that can go wrong here. This is the first time they've ever rolled any cars through. And of course, John Hammond, the entire, you know, uh, reputation of his park is at stake here. If these guys get out there and the machines are breaking all the time, that's all anybody's going to report on. This is why uh, when someone opens up a new restaurant, you usually don't want uh, the person who's going to review the restaurant coming to it until like maybe a few months into the operation of the restaurant because they're still working kinks out on everything. They're still hiring a, sh a chef that can, you know, prepare everything, uh, uh, you know, management situation, you know, getting the proper employees in there. Usually when you have a food critic come in, you want it to be one month, two months down the line until everything is ready. So that's kind of the situation Hammond is in right here. But um, yeah, yeah, Crystal, uh, what are your thoughts on this minute? Well, I love the hold on to your butts line. That makes me really excited. And uh, I can't tell if whenever I do a minute podcast, if I just love every minute of a movie or if I actually get lucky and get all my favorite minutes. Because every podcast I've done, I'm like, these are the best minutes in the movie. <laughs> and I feel like it's not, like that actually can't happen. But I enjoy this movie. Again, also with the subtitles, I never noticed Ian Malcolm say, when in the hands of engineers. Yeah. Really? Hmm. I had never noticed that. And I think that's because I get so pumped that they're about to head into the world that I just wasn't even listening. And I also didn't ever hear the fire last thing. So that was fun. And yeah. this is exactly what I was talking about when I think that their character, they're so good at their characters that this part's just fun watching them be so excited. And this is the sunset I was talking about. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
yeah. There, there's it's, a lot of excitement going on in the background. But I, I want to go back real quick to that line, God help us, we're in the hands of engineers. Because this line, I remember, it's one that stuck out to me. It stuck out to me because it feels like a joke maybe without an audience. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Spielberg was known for making a lot of jokes about lawyers. We just had one last week, you know, with talking about the blood-sucking lawyer referring to Gennaro. He named his shark, the shark in Jaws Bruce after his attorney. We see yeah. a lawyer. A lawyer's the first person to die in this movie. I felt like the engineer's joke was in that same vein, maybe flung at engineers who would be in the audience watching the movie. But it's you like – it's, it's it's such a weird statement because, Ian, we're always in the hands of engineers in just about any situation yeah. we're ever in. You know, like yeah. – he, uh, it's, it's interesting because you have all the – it's almost like Ian Malcolm's moment because we've been seeing – his all the emphasis in the movie has like been on him in the last several minutes. Uh and this is kind of almost where we leave that, but um, you know, you've you've got this wide shot of all these little people who are kind of voyeurs to it, and you got all the little conversations going, and Gennaro's joking with the kids, and then all of a sudden, the bit of dialogue that sort of overwhelms all that is Malcolm saying, "God help us in the engineers." It's almost like his thought. Mm -hmm. He might not even be saying that out loud to the other two people in the car. It's um, I don't know. It just sounds almost like we're kind of inside of his head and hearing that little uh, that cinematic like internal dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a little Maybe. aside. Yeah. So we, yeah. we get a so really that's... cool – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Crystal. No, I was just going to say it's, it seems like an aside for a joke. And like I said, I you guys have noticed this. I never noticed him say that. So that joke was so over my head that I didn't even realize there was dialogue there. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. just always stuck out to me because it's so odd. But uh, we get one really great camera shot in this. It kind of bleeds over into the next minute at the very end. Of course, we get – the classic line, and like you were saying, Crystal, this is where all the best lines are. Like in this minute alone, uh, hold on to your butts. Mm -hmm. We also get Welcome to Jurassic Park uh, yeah. from Richard Kyler. Yeah. And this beautiful shot of the track going up. It's like a centered shot, track going straight up the line. The camera kind of pans up, and the gates slowly begin to open. And that's kind of where the minute ends. So, um, yeah, <laughs> right, you know. Go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, this movie, I don't think we've really talked about the cinematography in it. I know in Ghostbusters Minute we talked about how there's some really fantastic camera work in that movie, but it's almost subtle. You don't think of it as like a camera movie. But in Jurassic Park, there are – you know Steven Spielberg's stuff sometimes feels like it's a little bit too pre-planned. You can look at any scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it looks almost like storyboards that have come to life. Uh, Jurassic Park's a bit of the same way. If you go back and look at some of the pre-visualizations for this, the storyboards, it's almost like – a exact recreation of what's going on. And part of that is because Steven Spielberg wants to make sure that his, his shots, his movies come in on budget. So they pre-plan everything to the nth degree so that when they get out there, it's like no time wasted. They can actually have all the shots set up and you know, pre-vis everything. Jurassic Park uh, isn't really a movie that's known for its cinematography to me. Brady, do you would you agree is this a movie uh, that... Not at all. I think uh, um, Dean, Dean Cundy, the director of photography, has held back... Um, in a movie that otherwise would probably have, at this day anyway, would have a camera that, as I call it, is the camera on the rope. Uh -huh. The camera has to reach every possible point of access for the sake of doing it. Mm -hmm. But a film like this, it, it adds to the, the reality of it is the fact that the camera is like on the same plane as my eye, you know, and not drawing too much attention to it. puts you in itself. it, so you feel, yeah. you feel like you're a part of it. It's which is right. a huge deal. Yeah, you do, and you don't see that anymore. And um, in some films, it works. Like, I can't imagine Lord of the Rings without the camera on the road type thing. But um, a movie like this does not need it. It does not need all the color grading that we're going to – you know, I could go on a big rant about this. But I think Dean Cundy did a, a really good job at keeping things very basic for the most part so that all eyes could be on 
the spectacle of this story and our characters mm -hmm. that we're, we're like, you know, he's kind of, it's like a, a good editor. Cover your tracks. You're not there. Nobody's supposed to notice you. And uh, I think right. he did a pretty good job with this film. And every now and then you get something, you get something pretty wild. And I have nothing, no examples are coming to mind at the moment. But uh, I, yeah, I do like the cinematography uh, quite a bit in this movie. And, um, you know, okay, so the camera being over the gate as it's opening, the cars are going through, stands out to me. It stands out to me because I haven't seen anything that dynamic so far in the movie. So by being restrained with your camera, it adds to a big punch moment like that. And um, that's to his credit. It's epic. Spielberg as well. Yeah, it is. It is epic, and and Crystal, like you said a second ago, it makes you it you saying the the camera eye level line definitely makes you feel like you're in the situation, which mm -hmm. is uh, maybe part of that kind of like that magical feeling we were talking about this whole thing. It really does feel like you're there being chased by velociraptors in some of these scenes. Yeah, gives yeah. you anxiety. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in did a good way. Any yeah. That, yeah. Did you have well, any of that anxiety in any of the follow-up films? No. I maybe a little bit. But uh, not, you know not what? Really like this. When they're in the aviary with the pterodactyls. Oh, yeah. That, so well done. Yeah, that freaked me out. I did not like that because, again, it comes down to how annoying birds are. That is huh. just too much with the, the flying around because not only are you have to watch the ground, you have to watch the air, and they're swooping around. And that, like, that makes me feel, I felt claustrophobic yeah. in that. But that wasn't necessarily, uh, or didn't necessarily have to do with the, uh, camera angles and more of the fact that there were flappy things trying to get yeah. my face. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Jurassic Park 3, um, for a, a lot of the faults that it does have, which we'll come back to Jurassic Park 3, uh, that sequence is one of the best dinosaur attack sequences in this whole franchise. And if you think about how terrifying that would have been for Alan Grant specifically, these things, he is now seeing them for the first time with wings in the air. You know, the closest things to the bird evolution that, uh, that he's had to face, and so uh, the stakes are really ramped up for that character in that moment. That's yeah. a very cool sequence in that film. Now, Brady, re remind me if I'm forgetting here, but did, wasn't that aviary scene originally in the book Jurassic Park? It, it was, and yeah. it's a very cool sequence. Um, so, um, and there's actually some conceptual designs for the uh, visitor center out there for the first film, and there's a big aviary attached to it, and they're hard to find. And I think you can even see one in one of the projection slides in the background. But, oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was very cool, very very cool. Yeah, and you know the aviary adding the pterodactyls in Jurassic World was something that really didn't, I didn't feel it at all. You know the scene where they're like flying down their main street area, picking up people, yeah. you know, dropping off. It should have been oh. a terrifying scene, but I was just kind of like, it was funny. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was funny. It it was funny, but it was also kind of like that movie's really in that sequence, especially when it picks up the um. Uh, I guess the assistant that is uh, has the the kids that's showing yeah. him around it was really one of the more mean spirited deaths I've ever seen. Yeah. It, or as of late, of yeah. It. And you know what sucks yeah. is that I really enjoyed that moment so much because of its it was so mean spirited and it stood out. I was like, where's where's the rest of that in this movie? And not that it needs the mean spirited deaths or anything like that, but it's it's like this is oh there's there's not as much like um, forgiveness in this. Yeah, you know? well, you know, it's funny because. Jurassic Park does have a mean-spirited death like that, and it's when Gennaro is eaten off the toilet. But whenever uh -huh. we see him eaten by the Tyrannosaurus Rex, we, he has earned that by that point. 
mm-hmm. this assistant in Jurassic World really wasn't doing anything. I mean, she's just doing her job. You know, there's nothing about her. She's just kind of a boring character, if anything. Yeah. Gennaro um, abandons the kids, tries to get away by himself, and then, you know, is snapped in half by Tyrannosaurus Rex and a really vicious on-screen yeah. death. But it's so yeah. funny because you hate him at that moment. You're like, yeah. okay, well, the dinosaur is serving out some sort of cosmic justice on this, uh, <laughs> as opposed to Jurassic World, where basically the hero dinosaur at the end of the movie ends up eating someone who hadn't done anything at all. And I don't know if they were trying to say, like, some sort of, like, uh, statement on, like, the chaotic nature of, well, of nature, you know, and how unforgiving and, uh, you know, without moral or ethic bounds it is. But, uh, yeah, that uh, that whole scene with the getting back to the pterodactyl, we've gone way off point here, but uh, <laughs> it didn't really work for me, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, it was, uh, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's you know, we, the, um, and again, not to get too off topic, I am really looking forward to Jurassic World 2. I think J.A. Bayona is such an interesting choice um, because of his, his past films. But I really hope that that guy kind of calms, he cools down on the, the sense of uh, the camera on the road thing like I was talking about. Yeah. And that we get a little bit more subtle visual style and thus more emphasis on the scenario and the characters. I want to be able to follow them and not be wowed by you know, the color timing of this, of this film. It's not about that, man. It's about characters that I care about. Excuse me. Can either of you tell me the name of the girl who was picked up by the pterodactyl? Or the, you uh, know, the thing that was supposed to be Zara. like the pterodactyl. Was it Zara? Okay, damn it, Crystal. <laughs> yeah, it was Zara. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. To be, no, 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 no. no. The, the only reason I know is because I have, I agree with this whole thing and read articles about it. So yeah. it's, it was too much. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was out of place. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But um, well, you know, but Brady, I I agree with you that um, a Jurassic World sequel, I I also have faith in because I it kind of feels like everything about Jurassic World was uh, studio notes. You know, oh, yeah, it was basically yeah, yeah. like them taking like you know a, a phone book size selection of stuff that had been developed over the years for Jurassic Park four and saying yeah. like, hey, you have to put all this into a movie, and it was just not yeah. really working. I'm not- yeah, there's no part of me that's worried about it, especially yeah. coming off of a film that I think maybe let some a lot of people down, especially fans. Um, but I think Colin Trevorrow is just a hell of a filmmaker and just a hell mm-hmm. of a – he's just such a smart guy. He's really fun to listen to in podcasts. Jay Bayona, the same goes for him. Yeah. And so I'm – and Derek Conley for that matter. Uh, so I'm super excited about it because I know that those guys have a, probably a better understanding for how to craft a Jurassic Park film the way it should be crafted as opposed to – 14 years worth of drafts being stapled together. So, yeah. but anyway, so <laughs> minute number, uh, whichever one we're doing today. Yeah, number forty-one. I think we about bled this one dry. So, yeah. uh, if y'all are, if y'all, uh, any anybody have any other notes on this? Yeah, one? I have uh, two two quick notes. One is, sure. um, I think we already got into. I, I think I already went through the thing about uh, Sam Jackson looking into the camera when he spins around. But um, Crystal, Kyle, and I could not figure this out. In the control room, in the background, there's these big red or big cylinders with like kind of red, just dots, sort of like shine, like going up the sides of them and everything. And is that there for anything other than? You know, at the time, hey, this looks like really cool and futuristic. Or do those things actually serve some kind of a purpose? Do you know? I I don't know, but I think they're just there to look nice. Yeah, and especially if you look. So if while you're looking at, as you pan across, you can see at the line of uh, where it's why do they put fiberglass? Why why do they put the fiberglass thing? You can see in the background that there the red thing is just kind of like 
moving around a lot. Like it's just lights yes. that are blinking. Yeah, it's, it's just not going in a specific order. Yeah, just activity, I guess. You're looking. Um, and red on black is very ominous and this is when we start getting to mm -hmm. a scarier part and it's like this is a, a threatening uh a threatening exchange of words where it's right. like all right we're getting ready we're getting ready to do something crazy and the weather is happening and maybe it was too bright in there and they were like let's put it let's put a little uh, red blinky thing let's get a blinky <laughs> it's uh something that i've made a point uh to a couple of minutes ago was um the fact that like none of the computer face in this, like the programs and stuff that they're showing look dated, even now to me. Um, I never look at it and kind of snicker and be like, hey, look at that. It still does, doesn't really look that dated. The uh, program in which she's yeah. you know, looking at the weather, weather and then when Nidri's setting up his whole scheme later, his computer program face just uh, looks fine. Looks like just anything I see today, you know. Okay, Brady, I have kind of a deep dive note on, on what you're talking about here. Those red things in the background, um, I think you and I had, had a discussion about that before, that you know they don't really serve much of a purpose other than they look cool. It's like back in the late 90s, you could put anything you know, with lights on it and put a little sound effect of like a beep, bloop, bloop in the background, and, <laughs> um, and yeah, it, everybody would buy it as like a computer thing, right? Okay, so I think you and I had a discussion about this before because there is a prop that has been reused in just about every science fiction franchise uh, that's ever been made. It originally appeared in the movie uh, Airplane, uh, the Airplane 2 at the Lunar Station Alpha base. And what it was was these two tubes uh, with red lights in them that kind of like rotated, making it look like some sort of like laser or something like that. Uh, it's been reused in uh, just about every iteration of Star Trek uh, since the next generation. It was also reused in... Uh, Star Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. Uh, it's actually in the ship when uh, Obi Wan is fixing some parts when they've landed on Tatooine. And here's kind of the slight Jurassic Park tie into it. It's actually in the background of the cue sequence uh, from the dinosaur ride in uh, Animal Kingdom in Orlando. Uh, so, which is all a ride that's kind of a ripoff of the Jurassic Park concept. That? So, it doesn't really have a name. It's these two gray things that are set up on either side with some red lights going between it. So I'll try to link a, a, a picture of this because it's one of those things, once you see it, every time it's reused in a movie, it's the first thing your eye goes to because it's just about everywhere. But, you know, when they're making movies that. like this, they do go to a prop department and they're like, okay, give me this, give me this, give me this, and we'll just make a scene out of it. So um, I know that a lot of the um, props from uh, Frankenstein's Laboratory from the original, like, 1931 Frankenstein are, like, still pulled out to this day. Mm -hmm. I don't know about to this day, but for decades and decades, they would just pull these same little doodads out and use them in film. So yeah, no, it's interesting that these types of things keep showing up and eventually show up in the dinosaur ride, which is definitely a send-up yeah. to Jurassic But you know, in any prop like this, you just buy it in the background, like, oh, it's a piece of technology. Yeah. You know, so these red right. lights are... Yeah. yeah. But, it's blinking. It's doing a thing. All I there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's blinking. I have it's one more. more. Yeah. Yeah. I had the one more thing, and that's when... Lex says, are we going to hit that? Yeah. Yeah. Doors? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to hit that? Just, you're on a track. You can see the track. <laughs> you see that you're going to a door. The door is going to open. They're not going to smush you into a door. Your grandfather <laughs> put you in a car and is just trying to kill you. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it used to kill me. Your granddad's plan the whole time. Ugh. Right? <laughs> ah, I need their life insurance money. This was all a trick. You know, I was watching this movie with my dad uh, not long ago, and he hadn't seen it since, like, opening night. And um, he's really getting into it and following it and everything. And then later, Hammond's talking to Ellie at the table, and he's like, you know, creation is an act of sure will, and we're going to do it again. 
And my dad's like, yeah, but your damn grandkids are out there in the park right now. You're not even thinking about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm done with minute number 41 as well. So, uh, guys, we're getting a lot out of these. Uh, yeah, so, really. yeah, but uh, that's what happens when you have a, a, a guest the caliber of Crystal Beth on your show. She definitely yeah, brings out the best of content. So. Yeah. Uh, well, before we uh, we head out here, Crystal, could you just let everybody know where they can find you on the internet? Sure. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Crystal Beth. If you want to play video games or watch me play video games, you can follow me on Ms. Sparkle Diamond on Twitch and PlayStation Network. Uh, Unlimited Lives Radio is my video game podcast. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, or CaveComedyRadio.com. And I have my minute podcast coming out December 26th, and that's www.thefifthelementit.com and then their Twitter Woo-hoo! is I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. I love yeah. the movie so much. It's such a great movie. It's going to be such a great podcast. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, I love that yeah. title too. That's one of the best movies by minutes titles. It's Fifth Element. That's yeah. Gotta love that pun. Awesome. Yeah, I, love See, it. I do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow for minute number 42. Again, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on here. Uh, So for Crystal, Brady, and myself, until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com. Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Minute and Twitter.com slash Jurassic Minute. You've been listening to a Pele Media podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Pele Media. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Pele Media and follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Pele Media. Yeah.